This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Daniel DeBoer became a biotech executive after his son was diagnosed with the genetic respiratory disease cystic fibrosis. He founded ProQR Therapeutics with an initial focus on developing RNA therapies to treat cystic fibrosis, but the company has since turned its attention to a group of rare inherited retinal diseases that cause blindness. We spoke to DeBoer, CEO of ProQR, about the evolution of the company its pipeline of antisense oligonucleotide therapies, and the advantage of this approach in treating rare eye diseases. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Denny. Nice to be here. We're going to talk about ProQR, rare blinding disorders, and your efforts to develop treatments for them. Uh, before we do that, I thought, though, we could talk, take a step back and, and talk a little bit about ProQR and how the company came about. You were a, a technology entrepreneur who had a son with a rare disease, cystic fibrosis. How did that lead to you becoming a biotech founding CEO? Yeah, no, happy to share that. So um, about 11 years ago, my son was born and in the first few weeks, he was diagnosed with a, a rare genetic disease that had a you know, not so great outlook because there were no medicines available. So I decided to see if there was, was anything I could do to further the cause of developing medicines for, uh, for his disease, but in the slipstream thereof for, for rare diseases in general that had no treatment options available to them. And yeah, that, that was a very interesting phase. I um, uh, uh, fairly soon sold my last computer company and uh, spent a year or two to uh, yeah, educate myself and on, on what was happening in the drug development space, what was uh, happening in the disease space, what different technologies were being pursued. And um, after two years, so in, uh, in, in, in 2012, uh, I decided that probably the best thing I could do to, um, uh, to help further the cause for rare diseases was to start a company and utilize my experience as an entrepreneur uh, with my passion to, uh, to make a difference for these rare diseases. So this was in, uh, in 2012, and I had by then met a number of uh, very experienced biotech entrepreneurs, including Henry Tremere, the former CEO of, uh, of Genzyme, uh, and I would say the founding father of the, the rare disease uh, uh, drug development uh, world in general. And uh, Henry decided to join my company uh, as a co-founder and as a, as a board member later. And together, we, we put together... Um, um, yeah, a very experienced team of people that uh, uh, had experience in rare disease drug development, in 
uh, RNA therapies, which is the, the kind of uh, technology that we're developing. Um, and we, um, with those people, identified a technology that was, uh, was invented at Harvard that we, we licensed, brought into the company, and um, um, uh, that became the, the, the founding platform for our company to develop medicines on. Henry Chamir is a, a legendary figure within the world of rare disease. How did you come to know him and, and how did he shape the start of Procure? Yeah, so I mean, I could fill this entire conversation with stories about Henry. I once, but uh, I could. Uh, you know, Henry indeed was a, a legendary figure who unfortunately passed away uh, three years ago now. Um, so Henry, um, at the time, had just sold Genzyme to, uh, to Sanofi. And I'd heard about this Dutchman that was, uh, was residing in Cambridge that uh, had led this, this rare disease company for the, the past three decades and really shaped the, the rare disease drug development world as we know it today. Um, so through an um, uh, entrepreneur here in the Netherlands, I got my hands on his, his assistant's email address. And I have uh, yeah, had emailed her multiple times to, um, to ask for a meeting, which yeah, she didn't really respond to. Until at some moment she said, "Okay, you can you know, come over and, uh, uh, or you can you can have a call with Henry uh, tomorrow." I said, "Well, that's great, but I actually happen to be in town tomorrow, so I could also meet with him in person." So she said, "That's uh, that's that's fine. You can yeah come uh, you, you 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 can come over to his office and, uh, and meet him here." So I obviously wasn't going to be in town because I was here in Amsterdam in, uh, in the Netherlands. <laughs> so I booked a ticket and um, uh, flew over and met with Henry the next day for. Yeah, the scheduled 30 minutes, but then we ran over by an hour, or maybe two. And um, we really got a connection in that first conversation where, um, you know, Henry shared that cystic fibrosis for him was unfinished business. It was uh, uh, an, an, an indication that a Genzyme they had um, invested in quite a bit, but never succeeded. And, um, yeah, we had a really good connection on the, the mission of, uh, of, of what we were going to do with this company. So... A few months later, I, I called up Henry. I said, I want to start a company. Uh, would you join me? And yeah, we started brainstorming about what the company would look like, how we would approach things, what, our, uh, um, uh, what technology we should pursue. And uh, in, in that respect, he, he, he played a very big role in founding the company, but then also in leading the company because he was on the boards until he passed away a few years ago. Um, so was really fortunate to have such a, such a great mentor helping me to get up to speed in this new industry. ProQR started with a focus on cystic fibrosis. How did you come to shift to genetic blinding disorders? Right. So we, we started with my personal mission on cystic fibrosis with a with broader ambition as a company to develop medicines for uh, rare genetic diseases in general based on this RNA uh, therapy uh, technology that we uh, we are developing. So we um, very early on in the company started applying this technology to other therapeutic areas. So we started programs in uh, very severe forms of genetic blindness. We started programs in other therapeutic areas. And um, after a few years, we found that this technology, RNA therapies, uh, were, um, were 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 specifically very uh, active in the field of, uh, of genetic blindness. So we, we've, we saw that there was a, uh, a major impact that we could make with this technology in genetic blindness. Um, so we decided to, um, to focus our work 
largely on, on that field, where we apply this technology to, um, to make medicines for typically childhood blindness, where children lose their vision early in life and uh, go blind due to uh, a genetic defect in their retina, uh, due to which they yeah, essentially go uh, completely blind fairly early on in life. When you talk about genetic blinding disorders, what's the range of conditions that includes and, and how diverse are those conditions? Yeah, that's a great, great question, uh, Danny. So there is um, uh, more than 3 million people in the world that live with an inherited retinal disease, which are uh, you know, these diseases that, uh, that, that lead to blindness in the retina due to a genetic defect. Um, and um, uh, these 3 million people carry, one, uh, carry a mutation in one of the 300 genes that are associated with these forms of retinal blindness. Um, this, um, uh, th these genes can be mutated in different positions, and uh, therefore there is thousands of different mutations that can cause these uh, forms of genetic blindness. And therefore, um, uh, there is a, a, a big variety of, of uh, mutations that, uh, that people can suffer from. And therefore, each mutation, unfortunately, um, um, uh, affects just a small group of people, which means that uh, a lot of different medicines are needed to, um, to really treat a substantial part of the people that live with these diseases. So these diseases are caused by a mutation in one of those genes and uh, then typically lead to degeneration of the retina due to which um, uh, people slowly or more aggressively lose their vision depending on the type of disease. A number of these diseases that are, are, that are you know, included in the inherited retinal diseases are uh, Stargardt's disease, uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis, uh, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, um, uh, and a, a number more like that. Um, our lead program that we're developing is focusing on uh, Leber's congenital, congenital amaurosis type 10. Uh, but then we also have programs for uh, Usher syndrome, for retinitis pigmentosa, uh, and other mutations. ProQR is developing antisense oligonucleotides. For listeners not familiar with those, how do they work? Yeah, so um, the medicines that we're developing are called RNA therapy. Um, they are um, short synthetic parts that are made of RNA. So to, to, uh, you know, at a very conceptual level in our cells, in, in our body, in each cell we have uh, our DNA. The DNA is copied into RNA, and this RNA essentially is a, is a blueprint to then manufacture proteins that have all kinds of functions in the cell. For example, a function to help your cell in the back of the eye uh, see. So when a patient has a genetic defect, there's a mutation in the DNA, and that mutation then gets copied into the RNA that makes a mistake in the, in the blueprint, due to which a faulty or dysfunctional protein is being manufactured, and therefore people can't see. So the, the, the kind of medicines that we're developing, RNA therapies, are medicines that fix the, the defect in the RNA. So they fix the, the mistake in the blueprint and therefore the cell can make its own functional healthy protein that in this case can help patients to see again. How specific are these medicines to uh, an individual mutation? Do they work across a disease type or are they for a, a specific, specific underlying mutation for uh, condition. 
Yeah, so uh, these medicines that we're developing are highly specific for individual mutations. Um, that means that they bind specifically to that place where the mistake is in the RNA, and they, uh, through one or the other mechanism, repair the mistake such that a normal protein can be made. Um, that, that, makes, uh, that helps us to be really precise and uh, to be really specific and have limited off-target effects. So you have limited effects that you're not intending to have. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it allows us to, uh, to use um, uh, medicines that are specific for a patient and you know, almost personalized. They, they really work for that patient's own mutation. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of these mutations that cause these diseases. And um, we have uh, the ambition to develop medicines for a whole range of those. And fortunately, um, I think we can. There is a, um, a big similarity between every drug that we, we make in our pipeline. So every drug that we make is essentially the same. They're just designed to target a different mutation in the RNA. Uh, and therefore, we are really developing this as a platform. So everything we learn from uh, the first and the second medicine in our pipeline, we can apply to the third and, and so on. Uh, and with that, um, we believe that over time, we can really uh, accelerate the development of these medicines. And with that, our ambition is to develop uh, a broad and diversified portfolio of medicines for a whole range of the, these mutations in inherited retinal diseases. There are a, a number of folks who are trying to develop ASOs as, as almost customized therapies or, mm -hmm. or ultra-rare therapies uh, with this notion that it becomes sort of a, a plug-and-play model um, and that if you have demonstrated the preclinical safety of the approach, um, that just swapping out the specific code for a mutation can, can have a, a very accelerated pathway with FDA. Is, is that the assumption here on a almost industrialized scale? Exactly. So um, given the, 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 the significant volume of mutations that one could go after, uh, we want to standardize this as much as possible. So we um, essentially want to know before we start clinical trials if a drug is going to work in patients or not. And to that extent, what we do is we um, are actually able to grow patients' own retina uh, in our labs uh, at, at the company. So we can take a skin biopsy and uh, differentiate that into to retinal tissue that is made from that patient's own um, uh, uh, cellular material. And therefore, we can then test um, our medicines on their personal tissue before we ever have to treat a patient with a, with a therapy. And we, yeah, we're doing that across all of our programs, and we think that will significantly help us to do de-risk these programs before they go into the clinic, allowing us to increase the volume, decrease the risk, and hopefully um, uh, generate many more therapies for these patients. What's the frequency of dosing? And uh, my understanding is you'll inject this directly into the eye. What's the advantage of delivering it that way? Yeah. So the frequency of dosing is uh, once or twice a year, depending a little bit on the, the drug and the disease. Um, and we indeed administer this drug through intravitreal administration, which is the most common form of, uh, of drug delivery in uh, ophthalmic indications. Uh, so yeah, the largest eye drugs that we, we have in the market today are administered this way, which means that that makes them very accessible. 
through this route of administration, patients can essentially uh, get a treatment with the drug at uh, any ophthalmologist office, and even nurses today uh, can can administer these uh, these therapies in some places. So, um, with the, you know the low dosing frequency and uh, um, uh, and uh, the broad accessibility of this route of administration, uh, we think it makes the drug very accessible for patients. I think the advantage of this route of administration is that it gets the drug everywhere in the eye. There is other more uh, complicated surgical ways to, uh, to get drugs into the eye, uh, which generally only get them to one small spot in the retina. So for example, with subretinal injection, um, which is something that's, uh, that's often used with, uh, with, with gene therapy, for example, um, you get the drug only to one small part of the retina and only that part of the retina you can then um, uh, potentially uh, uh, treat with, with the drug. In this case, we, we treat the entire retina because through the uh, uh, intravitreal route of administration, the drug goes to all the different cells in the eye. And that allows us to not only treat uh, a, a small part of the retina, but actually the entire retina, which, which creates extra possibilities because it allows us to treat diseases that would otherwise not be treatable. So I think um, uh, with this route of administration, it's, it's both very accessible and also um, uh, a very routine and common procedure that makes it uh, a relatively low impact to the patients. You're pursuing indications that have attracted both gene therapy developers as well as gene editing developers. What's the case for uh, an antisense therapy here as opposed to these other modalities? Right. So I think... Um, there is pros and cons to all of these different technologies, and there is probably a place for all of these technologies in different uh, mutations and different types of diseases. For our technology specifically, for intravitreal RNA therapies, there's a few uh, significant advantages. So first of all, um, we don't have to change anything to the DNA. When you make a change to the DNA and you, uh, by mistake, make the wrong change to the DNA, that's going to be there forever. There's no way to change that back. With our approach, we don't need to make permanent changes, which yeah, creates significant advantage from a, as specifically from a safety perspective. The second advantage of the approach we take is that um, we can treat the entire retina. So with gene therapy or um, uh, gene editing, which are typically uh, uh, viral uh, products that are delivered through subretinal administration, they can treat only one small, a few millimeter part of the retina, and the rest of the retina they can't reach because of this route of administration. With our um, uh, uh, approach, the uh, intravitreal RNA therapy, we can target the entire retina. So that means that diseases like retinitis pigmentosa or uh, Leber's congenital amaurosis that have peripheral vision loss as part of the disease manifestation um, those patients could have a much more significant effect to a drug that targets the entire retina than a drug that targets part of the retina. Um, I think with this approach that we're taking, we can um, uh, treat patients early in their, in their disease progression. So that means that eventually uh, we hope to treat kids as soon as they're diagnosed you know, in the first few years of life. And would that prevent that these uh, patients go blind altogether and essentially can have a normal school career and uh, 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 and a normal normal work career. And that's possible because we can treat the entire retina, and that would not be possible if you treat only a part of the retina.
But again, I think there will be a place for all of these different technologies for different applications. Uh, there are certain areas that RNA therapies can't work, and there are certain areas that uh, that where you know, gene therapy or gene editing could be a, a really good alternative. Your lead experimental therapy is apophrosin, uh, which is for a form of Libra congenital amaurosis. What's known about the drug from studies to date? Yes. So uh, cipofarsin for Libra's congenital amaurosis type 10 is a drug that we uh, have been working on for the last um, four or five years. Um, it's a, 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 an RNA therapy that's designed for the most common mutation in uh, Libra's congenital amaurosis type 10. Um, and this particular form of Libra's congenital amaurosis is a, a very aggressive form. Uh, people that are born with this um, this disease, they generally lose most of their vision in the first few years of life. And after that, all they can um, differentiate between is um, if, if there's light or dark in a room, but they can't really see where the light is coming from. So they're very, very uh, visually impaired after just a few years of life. So in this, um, for this drug, we're currently in a pivotal study, and we hope that pivotal study to lead to approval of this drug in, uh, in the next couple of years. Um, so far, we have done a, um, a study in patients in which we treated patients um, uh, every uh, six months with, uh, with cepofarsan. And what we saw there is that there was a, a very robust improvement in vision um, as measured by best corrected visual acuity, which is the, the typical eye chart that you would, uh, would have at the, at, the, at the general practitioner's office, um, where patients would improve um, by um, uh, 55 letters, so very significantly. Um, for people that, that, for, for that, that number doesn't mean a lot to, there were uh, patients in our trial that before the study couldn't see anything, and after a single administration of the drug, could now uh, read, could recognize uh, their, their relatives. Uh, there was a patient that has lost his uh, profession as a carpenter uh, 20 years prior to the study. And now after being treated, uh, he was back picking up uh, his work as a carpenter, working with heavy machinery and being able to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to live his life in a much more normal way. And I think that um, uh, you know, those results were, um, uh, were probably more significant than uh, was ever seen with another drug for, for these um, uh, genetic eye diseases before. And that sparked a really accelerated development path. So it allowed us to immediately launch a phase three study um, that hopefully will get this drug approved in, uh, in the next couple of years. And is there any relationship between when a patient is dosed in the course of their disease and the benefit they derive from the therapy? Yeah, that's a really good question. We don't completely know yet today, uh, but we do anticipate that patients uh, that have been uh, very blind for a long period of time, so they're in the end stage of their disease, um, and may have a slower response or no response to the drug, but we haven't fully investigated it yet. Um, to our surprise, one of the most severe patients in our, in our study to date um, was one of the biggest responders. Um, so we haven't ruled it out yet that people with, uh, with very progressed disease can actually respond. Uh, but we, yeah, we, we will investigate if, the, if there is a correlation between them. 
And what's the clinical path forward? And if all goes well, how soon might you be in a position to file for approval? So we're currently in a pivotal study, um, and we anticipate that uh, somewhere in the next 18 months, we will complete that study and uh, could potentially file for approval with that data. Uh, that could then put us on a track to uh, get this drug to patients in, uh, in Europe and the US, where the uh, majority of the population is um, in the next, uh, let's say, two years. Um, I think um, what Cephalfarsen is a is a really important product, and we hope that it will get approved. And um, yeah, are are fairly confident that it, that uh, the study that we're currently doing uh, will replicate what we've seen in the phase one two study. Uh, and as a spin off effect, we're learning a ton about how RNA therapies behave in ophthalmic indications, which allowed us to uh, recently. Uh, have added two additional drugs into clinical trials and uh, a third one or the, you know, our fourth uh, ophthalmology program to start clinical studies uh, in the next few months. Uh, and beyond that, in the lab, we, we're working on dozens of other um, molecules for mutations that currently have no treatment available to them. So there, we're starting to replicate um, uh, the, the, the learnings from Cephalfarsen, but now into other indications. And um, all of those programs, uh, yeah, in the, uh, certainly the ones that are now in the clinic, we hope to, in the, in the not far away future, have some uh, encouraging results from. Daniel Dubar, founder and CEO of ProQR. Daniel, thanks so much for your time today. You too, Danny. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.